Hello, and welcome to I Think You're Interesting. I'm Todd Vanderwerf, the I, and I think you're interesting. And if you're like me, this whole upcoming holiday season, you're going to have family hanging out, and you're going to be like, we need to come up with something to do together. Uh, once you've ex- once you've gotten through all the board games, once you've gotten through all the political arguments, you need to find a way to bring everybody back together. And for me, that's always a movie, whether it's going out to the theater or finding something on streaming. And lucky for everybody, one of my favorite movies of the year and one of the best movies to just watch with like everybody you love is hitting Amazon Prime on Friday, November 24th. It's The Big Sick. It's a wonderful romantic comedy. Uh, stars Kamel Nanjiani and Zoe Kazan in sort of a a retelling of of a true story from uh, Kumail and his wife Emily V. Gordon's life, uh, and it's it's about when they met, and then uh, Emily was in a coma, and in the film, Kumail has to deal with her parents, who are played by Holly Hunter and Ray Romano, both actors I've loved, who are both tremendously funny here and doing great work. So I got to talk to basically everybody involved with the movie. I talked first to Holly Hunter and Ray Romano about playing those characters, then I talked with Kumail Nanjiani and Emily V. Gordon about writing the film, and also, of course, I talked to Kumail a little bit about starring in it. I think you're really going to like both of these chats. Uh, They're fun, funny people. Uh, So stick around for that and uh, go check out the movie. I think you'll like it. So I'm here with uh, Holly Hunter, Ray Romano. Thank you for joining me. I I, I really enjoy the film and your performances in it. Crafting an on-screen marriage is always an interesting uh, actor's challenge. Tell me about like finding that space of, you know, not just your separate performances, but like what your performance together looked like as you were working on this film. Well, we have, we, we, the first time we met was at the table read. Mm. We had never met before. So, uh, the first thing was just getting to know each other and talk. And for me, it was feeling comfortable because I was intimidated (laughs) (laughs) as I am with most people, but especially with the great Holly Hunter. Um, and then uh, I think, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like we played everything as real as we could and it just kind of, it made sense to us, right? Uh, I wrote a little backstory as to how we met and how we we ended up together. Uh, but we never talked about that, right? We no. never, yeah. I just had that in my head of, of how I would end up uh, with this southern dynamo, and then I think if anything bumped for us, we would talk about it. But uh, I, I think we just were fortunate enough that we were feeling the same thing and and playing the same the same moments, and 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 anything that felt false, we would have uh, worked on it. But most of it felt real. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. I, it's it's almost like it's a it's a question of like there was something textural. It was like a texture it, it, that that I felt you know with you it, in this long term relationship. I mean I, you know Ray and I have both been in long term relationships in our lives, and I think that it's a textural thing. It's like it's like you just kind of feel it in the room. Does that feel a historical or or not? Does that does that feel like history or is it fake and then it was like a it was like an instinctual kind of barometer that we both kind of had going on without really talking about it with each other we just both would be in the room and go yeah no or oh what about yeah that feels interesting yeah but it was kind of improvisational in that way it was just there was an openness i think that you felt to taking the temperature of a scene, taking the temperature of like a, a moment or an exchange between us, and if it bumped for either one of us, both of us were open right. to like going, "Oh yeah, wh- uh, what is that?" Right, what- and if it didn't, it's funny because you because we're 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 playing this married couple, and we're learning how they react in in specific instances as we go. Right, you know. Like, oh, okay, that's how you react to that, and this is how I react to this, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so um, it was kind of, it was on the fly, right. but we were lucky enough, right. you know, as as actors, where it was really, um, you know, 
compatible, incredibly, yeah. you know, there was a, a yeah. lot of give and take, a lot of, right. it was just, but it was natural. It wasn't forced at all. It was just kind of, right, right. It, mm-hmm. we, we got lucky. And then yeah, it, we got lucky. <laughs> yeah. Because by the way, because you pair, you say Holly Hunter and Ray Romano, that's, that doesn't, that seems like a odd casting, but Judd Apatow, you know, you got to give him credit because it worked. I, I do remember reading the reviews out of Sundance because I was not at Sundance. I was like, Ray Romano and Holly Hunter. Okay. I, I could see it, but it was not like, <laughs> not like the first place I would have gone. Um, you mentioned coming up with a backstory for your characters. And like, there is a, a moment in the latter half of the film when we find out something your character has done that sort of affected this relationship. Yeah. How much do you rely on that kind of work to find your performances in scenes and let them inform your performances? And how much are you kind of organically feeling it out while you're on set? I don't know. That's just what I've been doing as a, as a, as, as a little bit of prep is reading the script and trying to figure out how, what happened up until page one, where they, where we see this character. Uh, and then this one director told me, you know, do it, write it, read it, and then forget about it. Mm. Um, if cool. that, if that makes sense, you know? So it's a little of both, really. Right. Yeah, it's a little of both for me. Yeah. Do you do that? Do you uh, do a little? I mean, you must. I, I know you do Sometimes, it back. But right? I mean, I, I don't know. I just felt like working working with you was an, an instinctual kind of thing. I mean, it was just very intuitive. Uh, it was, but mm. also loosely held. I mean, it didn't feel like anything. I don't know. It just all felt easy. It wasn't pushed or forced or Ray and I were both just, Saying, you know, it, it was an evaluation. For, it was all granular. That's what the textural, the textural thing really kind of. Um, I mean, I stay with that image because yeah. it did. It did. It felt like something that you were, you know, like it was sifting through your fingers, or you could feel it. Right. Um, right. And I think, but you're kind of that way as an actor. I mean, you're just kind of feeling it. If it doesn't feel, but you do that, as, I think, as a comedian as as well. And. So I was a, the beneficiary of that kind of um, evaluation because I think actors are always, always evaluating. How does it feel? Because right. if it doesn't feel good, you're not. It's not going to play. Right. Right. Um, and so yeah, once, Michael Showalter yeah. was always allowing us to have that evaluation because some directors get overwhelmed by anxiety. Mm. They don't want the actors to go through that process. They want it to be answered. And I think we had a tremendous freedom to to feel it out, and to and then to have it land in ourselves mm. as bad or good, and then we could go. You know, it was it was a great process that way. That's very subtle. Mm. It's a subtle thing to to have occur on right. a set. Right. This whole cast, every role is great. Every actor in it is great, and you all work together really well. How soon do you feel that when you're when you're in an ensemble? How soon do you feel like okay, this is this is going to click, or you know, sometimes does it take more work to get there? Well, I mean, it, it, after the table read, you get a little vibe of <laughs> of uh, how people mesh kind of together. Uh, but yeah, it's it's you never really know uh, until you're there, until you're actually in it. I think. Uh, I think Kumal said this in the last interview. He said it was like about day two when he felt, oh, we, we've got this rhythm and this chemistry and it's working. Mm-hmm. Like I remember on Everybody Loves Raymond, it wasn't until episode six mm-hmm. <laughs> when I thought, there's something here, you know, there's something here. Right. Uh, so I guess it's all different, but, 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 but pretty early. Uh, it felt good on this set. Yeah. 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 Although I still think I'm going to get fired. <laughs> <laughs> it's not too late to fire me. <laughs> yeah. Um, Holly, do you have thoughts on that? Um, well, you know, I, I, I think that, that, you know, you can't really make chemistry, but I do think that actors relationships with each other can really develop. Yeah. Um, I mean, th- that in a way, sometimes w- if you have a, 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 a more of a challenging relationship with someone, as time goes on, you can, 
the uh, kind of secrets unfold about like how you do connect with each other um, and the things that you do love about an actor can kind of reveal themselves over time. And that's, you know, that's what happens with relationships. I mean, it's not like anything else as long as you keep saying yes. Mm. It's when you go no that I think it's very difficult for actors to to continue past that. I mean, right. it's it's like life, you know. Um, uh, and I that's something that actors kind of can do mm. more easily maybe than other people is because you have to say yes uh, for the thing to yeah. have possibilities. Yeah. This is an interesting uh, project because you're doing a real story. But also, like, not, not not like, you know, you're not telling the story of Abraham Lincoln or something that everybody knows. Like, did you <laughs> did you want to... I often thought, felt, felt that. Yeah. <laughs> did you want to meet the people that you were sort of loosely based on, or did you feel like that would, yeah. that would affect you? Uh, no, because, like you say, it's not, we're not doing something historical. And especially because we kind of knew in the beginning that, if if any characters were going to be fictionalized to some extent, it was going to be us right. two. Mm-hmm. You know, they they didn't know who they were going to cast. They cast Holly. They cast me, and we were very different from Emily's parents. And we knew Emily was giving the actor uh, the freedom to kind of create who this person was. So I didn't meet him till I didn't meet the, the uh, Emily's father till at the premiere. Mm. But I heard about him <laughs> because <laughs> Emily said when the parents, her parents watched the rough cut, her mother said, uh, you know, Holly is prettier than me, but your father's much handsomer than Ray Romano. <laughs> 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 so I was dying to meet him. And hopefully I was saying, this guy better be handsome. <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he was. He's an older version. He's an older version. But, um, yeah, yeah. I, it's funny that you, you, you and I felt the exact same thing. I did not, I didn't have a conversation. I didn't have a, a telephone call, yeah. nothing. I mean, I, I, in a way, I just kind of wanted to be fictionalized. I, yeah, right. I wanted to have the freedom to, I don't know. And that's what they wanted. They way. wanted it. She wanted that. I think Emily and Cabell both wanted that. Um, For it to be. Yeah. Yeah. Did I mean, you did you finally meet them at the premiere? Like, did you see yeah. similarities in what you'd already done with the actual people? Or well, of course, when when I met them at the premiere, I was like, oh wow, maybe I should have talked. <laughs> to them. I was like, maybe yeah. I missed some gold, you know, a gold mine there. You know, you know, because yes. you think it's like more information. It's like, right. oh wow, yeah, that's so interesting. <laughs> um, but but you know, it is what it is. Sure, sure, sure. Um, do, are you, do you like, like when you go to a premiere or something like, do you like to watch yourself on screen? Do you like, like to see your performances again? Or I know a lot of actors just sort of set it aside when they're done with mm. the work. Uh, but some people really do like to like, I don't know, watch and critique themselves. Which side do you fall on that, that sort of divide? Well, I think, you know, it's, it's interesting to go to, um, up, up something like Sundance because mm. Sundance yeah. and well, there are, there are festivals that afford people the opportunity to discover something. Um, and you don't get that anywhere else because by, the, by, by, by after that, people have read something. They know somebody who's seen it. This is like the, you know, the, the yeah. lights go down and people go, oh, the big sick. Oh, wow. Who's <laughs> right. in it? Right. Um, that's. So it's pure. It's that's, pure. You know, you, yeah. you, that's never to be repeated again. And so it was really cool to be there for the big sick because the, the moment of discovery happened in the room and it, it happened in the room. Right. And you could feel it. And the movie made a connection with the audience that was, you know, that was really kind of a high. I mean, it was really fun. Yeah. It's kind of what festivals are for mm. is to is for. For that moment, it was so. I it was it was a lot of fun. Fun to watch in that atmosphere, but mm-hmm. then yes, then there's the flip side, where you can be watching yourself and and it's not going well. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I remember working with not to name drop, Uh-oh. but Gene Hackman. Shit. Uh, in Welcome to Mooseport, and I I forgot what we were talking about, and he said, uh, "Well, then I don't watch. I don't watch the. Uh, the premier, I don't watch anything." I go, what do you mean you don't watch anything you do? I go, what do you mean? <clears throat> he goes, you go to the premiere though, right? Or something. He goes, no, I don't go to the premiere. He goes, well, what do you do? He goes, well, if I like, if I have to do a talk show 
and talk about a scene, I'll see that scene, but that's all, the only reason. That's it? Yes. I go, so never, never you watch. Because <laughs> no, I go, so you're not gonna watch any of this. So I'm not gonna watch any of this. And and me being the the vain actor, I'm like, well, how are you gonna see what I did then? <laughs> um, but he said, I, I go, why? Did he ever and watch was, The French Connection? I, I didn't get that specific, but all he said was, I don't know, because then I, I look and I see my neck and I see this, and mm-hmm. the, he just, he just, he's too hard on himself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. And yeah. I used to, when I was doing the firm in Memphis, you know, whenever, whatever year that was, I didn't, I saw all of Gene Hackman's dailies. I would say, when, it, mm-hmm. when it, did Gene work yesterday? Because then I would watch Gene's dailies the next day. Now, why would you do that? Just because so. I couldn't believe oh, how oh, good he was yeah, yeah, every yeah. single take. Like, Hackman never, he never yeah. was bad. Right. So I watched all of his dailies with like an unhinged and, jaw. And unfortunately, I retired him. Welcome. To, that was the last movie he made. It was Welcome to Moose Boy. And I hate that fact. <laughs> and yeah, but you know, you could look at it up. the other way. You got to work with him. I did. No, I'm happy for me. I'm sad for the public. Yeah, I'm no, that's a that sad I, thing that for, for the rest him. of us. Yeah. He's uh, he's in an episode of Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. Uh, he just turned up at a place that Guy Fieri was at. And Gene oh, really? Hackman was there eating the scramble or oh, something. Oh, that's hysterical. So... That's now his last was it credit. In, where was that, in New Mexico? Was uh, it in, uh, uh, yeah, it was somewhere, yeah. it was somewhere yeah, in the yeah. middle of nowhere. Uh, but you're talking about like learning things from actors you work with. Like what did you sort of learn from working with each other? Oh boy, I learned that uh, intense Academy Award winning actors can also be uh, the warmest collaborative people because normally you think the other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what I learned. Not to be afraid of uh, of people of geniuses like Holly Hunter. Yeah. Well, it was it was interesting because I I kind of I I was like Judd Apatow, Mike Showalter, Ray Romano, Camille Nanjiani, all stand up comics, mm-hmm. and that is a really specific skill. Mm-hmm. That's a specific kind of set of chops, um, fearlessness. I, I mean, I don't know how they negotiate with that, with themselves. Mm-hmm. I, I I find that un- unnerving, actually, unnerving. That would be like my worst nightmare. Right. You know, giving you, speeches is like a nightmare yeah. for me. That's the number one fear. Number um, one fear. And, in, and I in, totally in fall right into that, yeah. like, number one fear Public thing. Speaking, like, I'll be yeah. boring to say that's my worst fear. So... And I was one like I was wondering like how we would traverse that you know would I be really afraid to engage with them on a comedic level because it's like and and you know in in, in a lot of comedies now the roles are inhabited by people who do sketch comedy by people who are stand ups right. by you know it's a specific kind of comedy that I was like wow I can't do that mm-hmm. that is not what I that's I can't do that. Right. Um, will this be an easy? Will Will I be able to to navigate the white water of? <laughs> well, you, but but that's what you learned is that you you are good at it, and that's been my experience is that these dramatic actors like I remember Andre Brower was terrified when we, when we were going to do a little open it up and be loose, and then he was great at it because he was so real. And and it was the same for you. I mean, in that scene with in the nightclub, mm. yeah, when you were yelling, Give, "What's your phone number?" or something, it was perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that scene is yeah. really memorable to me. The one in the in the stand up comedy club, and like that seems like one where probably things were had to be really loose to like get what you wanted. To, to talk a little bit about filming that scene, like the experience of breaking that, and especially Holly, you have that really memorable. Uh, that's a really memorable scene for you, I'll say, without spoiling it for the listeners. I don't know. I, I thought that was really easy. I mean, yeah, that, that it was. Went- by the way, it was mostly scripted. It was mostly scripted, but it, t- towards the end, when 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 we're at a hundred miles an hour, mm-hmm. things were getting a little off the rail. You know, we we were just letting. It I know. We, we talked about yeah. that scene a lot. I mean, that's yeah. the thing about that's that's the one of the unique things about this movie was that we rehearsed a lot. Mm. And some movies you don't rehearse ever at all. Mm. Um, this one, we, we were, we got together a bunch and like talked through, you know, um, what if 
fantasize, this doesn't work, let's throw this, can we can we get rid of that? No, let's bring this in, blah, blah, blah. So by the time we got to a big set piece like that nightclub scene, it was all, it was all, the work was done so we could really lean heavily on the script. As we leaned heavily on the script in all scenes, you know, yes. so that then you guys could really improvise if you felt like it. Mm. I mean, it, it, it was a scripted movie um, mm-hmm. with a lot of improv around it. Um, right. But I don't know, that scene was kind of easy. I, the only thing that I needed was I needed a strong guy. I mean, I wanted a big, strong guy. They had a... To pick you up. Yeah, they had, a, small, pick you up. They had yeah. a smaller guy, like yeah. an, another comic. And I said, it can't be another comic. Let's have a bouncer. Mm. You know, can we have a big bouncer? Yeah. And that way I can be free. <laughs> but that, that scene, afforded me the freedom yes, to really to, rip, to really like, go yeah, yeah, to yeah. really to really go and and i did i did get that and that was the only thing that i yeah. that i you know that was my one demand <laughs> i mean the, the the tricky part on the for that scene for me was i think you know the end of it where my character says this elevator goes all the way down um think they were leaning more towards uh, a bit of a comedic end to that scene. Mm-hmm. And I remember in the take they used, I, I you know, because I'm feeling it's hard. I know what you guys are going for, but I, you also, I also have to feel this, this frustration and this, uh, how desperate this guy feels and how it's all coming out. So, and I remember just at the take they used where I'm mad living, you've, I don't know what it was, you fucking prick or something, you know? And I was I I was happy that we got that that way. And then I was worried they were gonna cut it because the perfect out, if you're an edit, if you're in the edit room, when you get carried out of that room and you're yelling, What's your phone number? Ah! And you're carrying and they're carrying you, the audience is uh, you know, they're laughing, but it's real. Mm-hmm. Cut. We're in the car, stone faced, you know, yeah. driving home, and I knew that was the perfect edit for that if they if they were over. But I but I said I really want that to get in because first of all I want to show that this guy is is standing up for his wife and and also to show what's going on how how these people are are really tortured right now. And thank God they left it in because I thought it was important. Right, right. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. And yeah. and totally warranted. I mean, you are tracking this couple through, you know, it it's Yeah. Yeah. You need that kind of well, gestalt yeah, yeah. for both characters. Right, right. Ray, you um uh everybody loves Raymond is I, I love that show. And you have talked frequently how when you started on that show, you acting was like you were learning as you were going. Since the show has ended, you've continued to act a lot. You've continued to really push yourself in interesting directions. Like, what was it that drew you to acting? Because a lot of comedians just sort of go back to comedy when their show is over and they, you know, can do that. You mean after the show? Yeah, yeah. after the show, you, you know, you've done Men of a Certain Age. You've done yeah. a bunch yeah, no, of no, stuff. Yeah, no, no, I've done, yeah. Well, I was, I, I always, I was always interested in, in going in this direction. Uh, the, sh- the show ran its course and I was happy doing it and proud of it. Um, and when Men of a Certain Age came, we, Mike Royce and I, we explored both, you know, the, the comedy and the, the drama side of guys our age. And yeah, I, 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 I felt like, you know, there, there's, there's, it's real. It's organic. What I'm feeling, mm-hmm. I want. I want to attempt to, to play this, um, and I enjoyed the single camera aspect of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I was doing nine years of a play, basically. Yeah, where you tend to need to be big and broad, and you don't really. The audience doesn't see inside you, um, and now I was interested in exploring. That 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 aspect of of acting, um, it took a while though. You know, it takes a while for people to allow themselves to see you as somebody else mm-hmm. in that character they've seen for nine years. So it's all kind of been baby steps. Mm-hmm. It's been men of a certain age, Parenthood, Vinyl. You know, all these shows that get canceled. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and this, by the way, this of all those things, you know, men of a certain age was two years. 
Parenthood had three years. Vinyl was a year. Um, this one movie has probably done the 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 best for me as far as allowing people to see me as somebody else besides that character. Sure. So it's been kind of a, it's really been a blessing for me. Sure, sure. Holly, uh, it's been 30 years since one of my favorite movies, uh, Broadcast News, uh, and I think you are phenomenal in that movie. So I would be remiss if I didn't use some of our last moments here to ask you, like, what what's your relationship with that movie now? Uh, and when, what are your, some of your memories of filming that? Well, I mean, that's, that's you know, I, I, I loved shooting broadcast news. Mm. It was fun, fun, fun. It was really hard. I was tremendously afraid, the most afraid that I've ever been in my career before we started broadcast news. I was afraid that I wasn't going to be able to do it, that I wasn't going to be able to do it. Mm. I was like, this is too hard. For, this is too much for me. I'm not going to do it. Um, but once we started shooting, I didn't feel that way anymore. Not really. Mm. I mean, I had moments of fear because I was so young and so I, it was just, it was a big thing. But, but the world that Jim Brooks gave to the cast was so enormous and so dense and that it was nothing but fun. Mm-hmm. And I think working with William Hurt was, and still is, you know, one of the great honors to work with an actor who has that particular kind of craft and and that kind of ambition right. for his character, for his expression, and for his feeling of of the honor of being an actor. I think Bill feels that it's, it's an honorable profession. Um, and some, some actors are are graced with that and and he is one um so i've i've kind of basked in the in the the glory of of being with him and learning from him I mean, he was a bit of a mentor for me right actually very much and a little bit of a caretaker for mm-hmm. for me i viewed him in, in that in in that way um who wrote the movie who wrote huh? who wrote broadcast news jim Jim Brooks wrote it. Yeah. Oh wow. And it, you know, so it was that was a yeah. that was an extravagant, rich, nine mm. course meal that right. I sat down to, and I knew it. Yeah. You know what I mean? That wasn't like, oh my god, I can't believe that this. Like, no, no, this this is deep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you worked uh, with with a comic on that movie as well, like somebody who's yeah. well known for his. Co- Do you enjoy that sort of working with people? Well, Brooks, are- Brooks truly did. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, that he, he, I was out of control on a number of occasions mm. with Albert being unbelievably funny, like mm. off the cuff, the things that Albert could spontaneously think of and then say mm. was right. um, phenomenal, phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. Things that are not in the movie that only I know that you know that were happening in the car yeah. from you know from base camp to the location. Some of the stuff that Albert would say was <laughs> just off the charts. Right, right. Well, we end every episode by asking our guests some of the same questions. So I'm going to ask each of you one. Oh, no. <laughs> no, a roar shock. Ray, uh, what is the most memorable meal you've had, whether that's for the company or for the food you had? Just something that sticks out in your mind when I say great food. Are you going to ask me the same question? Uh, I'll, I'll probably ask you a different one. Oh. So. <laughs> you want to take the meal one? If you want to yeah, take the meal I'll one, go ahead. I'll take the meal one. Take the meal one. I know because the greatest pizza I ever had, but you take no, the meal one. No, come on, man. Let me answer this <laughs> no, you question. Go, go, go. go for it. It was 1981. Oh, boy. <laughs> it was um, October. Mm. It was towards the end of October, 1981. I was doing a play called Buried Child. Oh, wow. Written yeah. by Sam Shepard. Um, at the Repertory Theater of St. Louis, which at the time was the, the Loretto Hilton. Mm-hmm. And me and the cast, all these like crazy great actors, crazy great. We were all having affairs with each other, like, ah. multiple affairs. We'd ah. all done drugs together, mm-hmm. multiple different kinds of drugs. Wow. We we had this incredibly, we're, the, the play was like, a tantalizing, beautiful play. The production was really great. We all just like bonded incredibly well. We were like partying together. We were, you know, running laps together. We were, yeah. you know, in the same motel complex. 
and we had this. We went to this restaurant. It was a, where we have we had a nine course meal. Now, mm. and I was really young. I'd never been to a restaurant where you could have nine courses, and I was a smoker mm. at the time. So, in between each course, we would all sit back and like have a cigarette <laughs> in the restaurant. Where of course you could smoke in the restaurant, and they would bring out like these palate cleansers of like sorbet or whatever, and we were all just like, Whoo! We were all. What's the name of on that? life. Yeah. We could not believe uh-huh. the riches that we were living. Wow. And it was just an, uh, it was like a glimmering time yeah. that was shimmering. Wow. Uh, and we all felt it. It was all, it was communal. Everybody felt the same way. Mm. I can't follow that. I, I can't. Tell me, tell me I about can't the pizza. I can't follow that with a slice of pizza from <laughs> from DeFaris in Brooklyn. <laughs> I wasn't having. I was having sex with no one, doing no drugs. <laughs> I wasn't simmering, <laughs> and I had a piece of corn. And here's the best ear of corn I had to get a, to get a little colorful. Since you were so colorful, it was when my wife took me to Sicily. We went to her hometown, Bisaquino. And her relatives had a little farm down there, and they gave me a corn that they grew, and I usually like to slob it up with butter and this right. and salt and pepper. And I, I bit into it with just pure, nothing on it. And it had more flavor than anything I've ever eaten here in the States with all the junk on it. It mm. needed nothing. It was just the best piece of corn I've ever had. Wow. What year was that? Uh, nothing exotic, like 81. It was, uh, I want to say, 10 years ago. Yeah. yeah, but that's great yeah. to remember, you know. I remember a piece of corn. I remember a piece of corn. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Ray Romano, Holly Hunter, thank you very much for All your right. time. And everybody's totally been sick. Yeah. Thank, thank you. So, hey, you've tried all the meal kits out there. 30 minutes turns into 60, and all of a sudden you realize you're actually paying to do all the work. If you don't like the chopping or the dicing or the mincing and you just want food now, that's where Fur Freshly comes in. It's a weekly prepared meal service that delivers fresh, never frozen, all natural meals developed by their team of chefs and nutritionists. They're fully cooked. So all you have to do is heat them up. Each meal is ready to eat in only three minutes. I just, I had some peppercorn steak the other day with some mashed potatoes and green beans. Just a couple minutes. It was in the microwave. It was great. It's so tasty. So there's no more worrying about what's for dinner. No shopping, no chopping, no cleanup, but also no artificial ingredients, preservatives, or added sugar. So you could try Freshly today and get $40 off your first two deliveries. You just go to Freshly.com slash interesting. That's six meals for only $39 for two weeks. It's Freshly's best offer ever, only valid for a limited time. So head to Freshly.com slash interesting or enter the code interesting at checkout. Shipping is always free. And if you're stuck for what to try, try the peppercorn steak or the shrimp bowl. They're both great. I, I liked them both. And again, just a couple minutes in the microwave, you'll 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 love it. That's Freshly.com slash interesting for $40 off. Hey, guess what? You probably have somebody in your life that you can't think of anything to get for. And if that person is somebody who shaves, the art of shaving is the way to go. What's the secret of a well-groomed guy? Why, it's the art of shaving. It's founded in New York in 1996. The art of shaving has been helping guys look their best for over 20 years. It has your total routine covered, whether shaving, beard maintenance, hair, skin, body, or fragrance. The Art of Shaving's award-winning products are formulated with the highest quality botanical ingredients featuring pure essential oils. The four elements of the perfect shave have been created to deliver smooth results every day. Start by prepping skin with their signature pre-shave oil, then create a thick foamy lather with shaving cream applied with a shave brush. Shave, then replenish moisture with their aftershave balm. Finish off the perfect shave with one of their five fragrances, sandalwood and cypress, oud suede, vetiver citrone, green lavender, and coriander and cardamom. Each cologne has been carefully assembled for a distinctive scent. The Art of Shaving offers a convenient replenishment service that allows you to save on your favorite products while never having to worry. And our listeners will receive 15% off their first order and free shipping by using the promo code TODD, T-O-D-D, TODD. To get this offer, go online to theartofshaving.com. Use the promo code TODD to get 15% off your first order and free shipping. Visit The Art of Shaving for this special offer or for a consultation with a grooming expert, step into one of their many retail locations near you. I'm going to go shave right now.
Uh, I have with me Emily Gordon and Kumail Nanjiani, who co-wrote The Big Sick and Kumail, you you starred. Emily, you were in a shot. I saw you in a shot. Oh, but, you did. Yeah, you did. caught my very important cameo. <laughs> the most did. important cameo of the year. <laughs> that was that was quite discussed where it would be. Yes. That, at a time, there was a scene with a waitress and Emily was going to be the waitress and yes. have actual lines. And then I was like, no, let's not do that. Uh, and then even in that scene, they wanted to put me next to Zoe. And I was like, that feels like a wrong move. Uh, <laughs> let's not do that. So, yeah, I, in my head, my character's arc is that I, uh, Bo Burnham's character, moved to New York and he and I are dating. That's that's my character arc. Okay, yeah. great. Wonderful. <laughs> uh, so you two are a couple mm-hmm. and you wrote this together. And I, I, just to get this out front, my wife and I are writing partners. Oh, cool. Uh, so we write together. And it's the most natural thing in the world to me. But everybody asks me, how do you do it? How yeah. do you put up with each other? So I'm going to ask you that. <laughs> like, how do, like, did it just feel natural? Was it like an extension of your already existing relationship or, or, or it was it tricky? was because we already, we had worked together on, we had a podcast together, in fact. And mm-hmm. we also had a stand-up show together that was then a TV show. So we had worked together in a couple different capacities. So writing was the new part for this time, but... Uh, we have a good kind of working relationship, I think, uh, with each other. So it did feel quite natural. Yeah. And it's good that mm-hmm. we'd worked in other ways before because writing can be pretty. I think it's the most fraught mm-hmm. uh, of the. It's very vulnerable. Yeah. Because yeah. you can write something and send it to someone. And if they don't like it, that can feel very personal, you know. Um, so it was good that we'd sort of established a relationship and boundaries and stuff. Uh, producing the the meltdown show, and then before that, as you said, the um, the indoor kids podcast, the indoor kids podcast, right? So we sort of, I would say, with the podcast, there were some stuff we learned, and with meltdown, some stuff we learned, and then with the movie, actually, in a way, out of all of those, it was the smoothest, yeah, because we sort of figured out everything. It was like learning how to respect each other as as coworkers, which is a different thing than right. as as uh, spouses. Often, like we would go into meetings and I would expect my spouse to have my back every single thing that I say, but my coworker gets to disagree with what I have to say or like gets to add on like, and that, that was a different thing for us to navigate. So we'd gotten all that under control by the time we were writing together. And then we're both just kind of fans of each other's writing style. And so it was kind of lovely to get to, you know. Take yeah. on each other's work. And look right. Mm-hmm. And we have some, we have very similar points of reference, you know, so we could, because we obviously in the last 10 years have seen kind of the same movies together. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you could kind of be like, oh, it's like that scene in that movie or, hey, we should have a scene like this where, oh my God, you got a little biscotti. That's oh, right. Sorry. <laughs> the you. coffee has arrived. Thank um, you. Um, so, so that was good. And we were able to sort of, you know, that shorthand that comes from sort of having watched the same stuff and, right. uh, w- w- was, was very, uh, thank you. I got I'm that. trying. Okay. But we also had the same nerd shorthand from, that's why we got together was that we had watched the same stuff growing up and had played the same video games growing up. So we already had like a shorthand that then just kept getting, kept growing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we when we moved in together, we had to get rid of a lot of the same movies and video games because we had the same ones. And then <laughs> not and, CDs though. Not CDs. that's how old of a couple we are. <laughs> different <laughs> CDs were different. We had different tastes in music. Um, if if you want to offer me podcasting tips while we do this, please go ahead because <laughs> don't let your um, don't let anyone drink espressos. I guess. <laughs> I'll tell you what I do hate um, is when people are eating during podcasts. Yes, that's so right. Like. Come on, don't do that. If you listen to the commentary of our movie, mm-hmm. Barry's eating. Our producer, who is not in the same room with us, is eating, and Kumail keeps calling him out for it over and over again. <laughs> uh, I was actually listening to our commentary the other day. Oh, you did? It's embarrassing. I shouldn't talk about that. But yes, I was. How was our commentary? It's good. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I love commentaries. Like, I listen to a lot of them. Uh, so to me, it was like very important to have a, a good one. Yeah. Because I love them. When I first got a DVD player, I just I got a bunch of DVDs and just listened to the commentaries. It's yeah. so great. My parents thought I lost my mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. Uh, so when when you were like breaking this story, which obviously has its roots in your real experiences, like how obviously movies are life with all the boring stuff cut out. Yeah. So like, how did you figure out we're going to make this a movie story as opposed to like a thing that happened to us? I think that kind of, it somewhat happens naturally. uh, And then it helps with, I think the people you collaborate with really, really help you to kind of hone in on, uh, you know, Judd Apatow and Barry Mendel, the food eating commentary producer, uh, both were really, really good about helping us be like, 
helping us figure out when something was meaningful and that meant it needed to be in the movie and when something was meaningful to us and no one should ever see it in a movie. But then what can we find that feels equivalent to that? What emotions, why did, why was it meaningful? So for everything, we always were kind of trying to figure out why something felt meaningful in our lives and then figuring out the best cinematic way to make that uh, yeah, because sometimes you would have stuff in there and they would be like, this doesn't work. And we would say, well, it's meaningful to us because of this. This is why this felt like an important, yeah, don't pull a Barry Mendel. <laughs> Emily's eating and leaning back. Uh, why We would talk about why this moment felt significant when we lived through it. And they were like, they'd be like, all right, well, it's not coming across in the script. So you got to uh-huh. figure out a way to have that moment feel... Uh, the same, like... Feel, yeah, yeah, feel just as urgent in the story as it felt in your life when you were living through and it. And what's lovely about those moments is that the real moments then go back to being yours and aren't part of a, a aren't part of a movie. So then they can just be yours again, right? Um, right. Which is quite nice. Yeah. Do you remember a, a scene where you had to kind of keep honing it to find that emotional connection with the audience? Um, I would say overall, like, uh, do you have an? Do you have a? Mm, I think so, but I think we're going to say the same thing. What were you which say? is what. Uh, I was going to say the scene that started out as uh, the like Groundhog Day scene that kind of like ended up kind of morphing and morphing into anyway, what were you? No, go ahead. Well, just we had scenes of what what was not ever being conveyed. What we had a, a version of is that there was a night in the hospital after I got out of the coma. I was oh, still in the I hospital. See. Yeah. That um, Kumail wanted to come and spend the evening with me. And so he came and brought Groundhog Day, one of my favorite movies on a laptop and he remembers that night as being this like magical kind of date night. I was in so much physical pain and I just was like, okay, I love him, but he's going to leave soon. And then I'll get to like, just be a baby and in pain because I'm in so much pain. And we had not talked about the fact that that was like a different experience for the two of us. So we, that just was something that informed not even a specific scene as much as that they're just on two different pages. He's so excited that she's woken up and can like go back to their lives. Her life has changed dramatically right. and she needs to focus on that for a little while and not really so much her love life. That that's something that was really meaningful to us that I think we ended up kind of figuring that out over multiple scenes rather than just having a scene that replaced it. It was meaningful to us in different ways. And then, you know, it, a lot of what well, when we actually lived through it, a lot of it's just you're like kind of waiting at the hospital, which isn't very cinematic. And right. so that feeling of first. OK, so I'll give you an example. <laughs> Like, um, in real life, I was eating a lot of fries when Emily was sick because mm-hmm. it, it was just my way of dealing with it. And right. so in a movie, if you're just showing some, somebody eating fries, that's kind of funny, I guess. But we we sort of heightened that and made it like the me ordering the burger with four slices of cheese thing mm-hmm. because it's about, you know, you're sort of, I'm sort of medicating myself with food and we sort of you know, heightened it to that. At one point you were pegging out constantly through the movie. Yeah. You were always eating. Yeah. I was always eating in the movie because that's how it was. Like, that's how it was to go through. Like, I remember the nurse being like, just take care of yourself. Eat a lot because you can't get sick. So I remember I was like, got it. I have permission now. (laughs) French fries and, and, and cakes and all that. (laughs) Um, um, but, uh, yeah, that was one. And then the breakup, it took a while to sort of figure out the, 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 the best version of the breakup. That was, that was a tough scene. To but that write. didn't happen in reality. Do you know no, what I mean? Like, no, that wasn't one we had to like, right. Yeah. 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 Uh, one of the things that to me that stood out about this movie is that when Emily comes out of the coma, like Kumail's emotional journey is, you know, 99% done. Yeah. And she like has this yes. whole thing. Like, and, but the movie's essentially over. Because, yeah. like, the protagonist's journey and Holly Hunter and Ray Romano's journeys are over. Like, how did you navigate that of, we have this really major character who has not had the emotional experiences of yeah, everybody else Yeah, we have to give movie. her an yeah. act two and an act three. That yeah. was so important, I think, to all of us because we, so often women function as, like, the tool by which a man grows up. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love some of those movies, too. But I, it seemed, it was imperative to us that... Emily kind of be a person that's having her own experience. Uh, uh, There's a version of the movie where she falls into his arms. It's like, oh my God, I've just been waiting for you to tell me you love me and yay. But that's part of what I was saying earlier of the, I was in so much physical pain afterwards and my head was spinning that I wasn't thinking about, I was thinking, I loved you and I wanted to be with you, but I wasn't thinking about like, oh, relationships. It had not entered my mind. So we wanted to, it was very important for us that not only to give us more to do in the third act, because often rom- romantic comedies don't have a lot to do in the third act. Well, it's funny because it's always like, 
you know, when we were writing this, we were like, why do romantic comedies, why is there always like a race to the airport? Yeah. And then when we were writing it, we were like, okay, we need a t- ticking clock for actually. Okay. <laughs> so she's on her way to the airport. And we're like, oh, this is how it happens. There was at one point you were getting married to someone else. Oh my God. You were fully like in wedding all, clothes. And you find, you know, you sort of find these like Hollywoody things, movie things to put in. And then, but you just... We ultimately fell back on the reality of it and just going back to the characters and the emotions of it. And we, we took away all that artifice that we had built into it. A lot of it was we first wrote the the script that was very real. Then we put in all this. We real crazy stuff. <laughs> crazy stuff. And then it was sort of taking away the crazy stuff and going back to sort of the spare version, you know. And, and we knew that it was going to be for some viewers, it was going to be frustrating to have an act three where there's this sort of negotiation. I feel like I love rom-coms, but what's missing from them is the actual negotiation that goes into being in a relationship. Mm -hmm. They end with the two of them being like, let's be together. Mm -hmm. What comes after that is Mm -hmm. more interesting. So in this movie, in act three, we kind of wanted to to show that, like the the negotiation that goes into two people deciding that they want to give it another shot. You know, we wanted to have the sense that these two people by the end of the movie are fine on their own, Mm -hmm. but they choose to be together. It's not that they need each other. Neither person's completing the other one. Yeah. Right. That we wanted to have two complete people coming together. So Mm -hmm. that's, and we knew it was going to make some people, it was going to make maybe fewer people like it, but hopefully more people love it. Right. Um, well done. Well said. I have, I have a way with words. All anyway. right. All right. <laughs> um, I, I, so, 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 so that was something. And we talked a lot about the third act. We sort of knew where we wanted to end, but how to get that was. There was one point where we discussed having Holly, uh, Holly's character, like tell Emily, like, you know, he was there. He's a good guy. But then yeah, we like, go to him. She doesn't give a shit what, if who her daughter's dating. Her yeah. daughter just almost died. Why is she giving her dating advice? Well, I mean, she, she likes, t- yeah, she's it's like, not like, it doesn't matter if she likes him or not. Like, yeah, she loves him because he's so charming. And obviously <laughs> that's cool. Uh, but, but, but you're right. I mean, this was something we talked about was like, I think at the end of the movie, Beth, Holly's character would like for them to be together, but it's so far down the list of yeah. things to be concerned I'd like to be able about. to walk normally first yeah. and then, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, one of the things that I, I love romantic comedies and there just aren't enough anymore, but part of it is that like, in the like early 2000s, they all turned into like two attractive white people are going to tell each other lies yep. and like it becomes impossible to bear. And like one of the things I love about this movie is there's a specificity to it that makes it universal. And I'm wondering like if you kind of had that feeling as you were writing it, like we're talking about specific, a very specific instance in your lives, but also like specific cultural resonances, things like that. And like how you sort of, uh, if you ever worried about like making that speak to everybody instead of just, you know, you. We tried not to think about that too much. I think for us, it's like when you are writing about these kinds of things, you you do talk about like, what are the larger things under that? So what is like, if this is our specific issue, what's the larger thing under that? And it's, you know, feeling like you don't belong, feeling like you are disappointing your parents, feeling like you don't, there's a chasm between you and another person and how sad and lonely that can feel. And, and you know, the sense of everybody sort mm-hmm. of trying to complete themselves and everybody trying to connect and the things that get in the way. Yeah. So like, as we were talking about those being larger kind of issues and those being like, I always think of it as like, um, God, Ghostbusters 2 reference coming up. Here it comes. Uh, the, <laughs> the river of slime under the city. Right. That we all have, you know, our story is a very specific thing on right. a path. But if you dig under, there is a river of slime. <laughs> Here it comes. There is a river of like the same emotion or the same kind of situation that we've all felt. So we talked about what the there's larger what that river of slime is for each of those issues, but we never tried to, we tried to keep it as specific as possible. Yeah. And, and we, we tried to keep, we knew that our story was so specific that if we told our story well, as Emily was saying, you can't really guess what the audience wants. You can only tell the story that you want to tell. That's right. the only thing you can control. You can only control how you feel about it. You can't control how other people will feel about it. So we just wanted to convey our story in a way that uh, we could be proud of, but and in a way that was coherent to people. Obviously, you want that. But, you know, what, what Emily was saying about the river of slime, it's interesting. Like, some people, <laughs> I just mean, like, some people will write where they're, like, write, and then the themes sort of emerge from their writing. The way we work, the way I work, mm. it, we, it's definitely, like, 
when we're thinking about the themes when we're writing it. Absolutely. Because I feel like the one thing that works in comedies is I think the jokes have to be thematically relevant. Mm-hmm. I, I really do. And I think that's the difference sometimes when you see a movie and you're like, there's too much improv in that. I think that means that the viewers are keying into the fact that these jokes have nothing to do with anything. Because those are the actors joking around and not the characters joking right. around. Do you know what I mean? Right. But yeah. it's... it's, it's, it's um, like, for instance, this was a movie, you know, about one of the things it's about is people trying to connect and the things that get in the way. And that can be like um, generations or culture or whatever it is. So the first uh, bunch of scenes that I have with Emily's parents are all jokes of misunderstanding where we don't understand each other. That's all the jokes. When he asked me about 9-11, like that's a miscommunication joke. And then later, like when I... T- when Ray says that her attacking the guy was kind of sexy and I say, meet, it's all like misunderstanding jokes over and over and over and over. And we wrote those on purpose, you know, because we knew like we want this to be funny, but the jokes have to be thematically relevant. Otherwise, they're just going to feel superfluous. Right, right. I was talking with Ray and Holly earlier and they said that they are not really like your parents. Uh, oh, not at all. Much. Yeah. And, but, and yet Zoe like obviously has to play sort of you, not really mm-hmm. you, but right. like a kind of you. How did you find an actress to play yourself, basically? She just came in that way. She came <laughs> in great. Uh, we, you know, we had auditions. <laughs> now Camille's eating. We had auditions. We saw a lot of great actresses who were wonderful. And she just kind of had an innate, got this specific version of this character from what she read on the page um, and kind of came in already like, like there. Um, which was great. And then she and I kind of talked, we we talked a lot about like what the character and we both were on the same page. So my thought was, and I, I'd done this as a therapist too, like I'm an expert in my life, but she's an expert in like acting tool. She's an amazing actress. Why don't we work together and like not, not both of us come halfway and kind of figure out how to create this person. So we just really collaborated and I trusted her to kind of make good decisions for this character. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't as controversial or difficult as I thought it would be. Like we weren't ever looking for someone who looked like me necessarily, or kind of had my same vibe. Um, but we ended up with someone that had, when I, a lot of people watch it and like, oh, she reminds me of you. I could see. And I'm like, well, it's cool that you think that like, that was never like our goal, but that's awesome. But it kind of was, I mean, it kind of was in the casting of Zoe. Like when we cast her, we understood that there were some similarities that, uh, between you guys, um, Energy, whatever that yeah. means. A little energy-wise, we're a little similar. That's yeah, true. yeah, so it's good to... So so we sort of knew that, like you said, she's a great actress, but by casting her, we most of our job was done. Yeah. The, yeah. She also, in the movie, I insisted she have a green streak in her hair. I have a blonde streak in my hair. And so I but you like, used to have a purple. I've had many different color streaks in my hair, but I was like, that that's going to lock it in. Yeah. <laughs> Give her that streak in the hair. No <laughs> yeah. one notices it. It's never referenced, but I'm into it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, uh, sort of on the Kumail side of things, um, obviously movie characters are more heightened than real people. What is what is something that's heightened about movie Kumail that is maybe not as true of you? Huh. What is, what is heightened? Well, I will say that in the movie, I'm I'm more of a liar than I was in real life, or I hide more. Like 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 I would sort of hide everything from my parents, so that's pretty close. Mm. But I wasn't hiding as much from Emily. No, that's true. From me, I you was mean fairly, me as a person. <laughs> I was fairly open in that I was like, "Hey, they want me to have." An arranged marriage. But she was a secret to my parents. I, yeah, that's right. He was open with me, but also like a little, uh, maybe callous is not the right word. He, he was oh, like- was downplaying it? No, you were like, uh, this can't ever be a thing because my parents want me to marry someone. And I was like, well, what's your plan? What are you going to do? Huh? <laughs> and that would be his answer. That was similar. Yeah. <laughs> it took me a while to understand, like mm. while we were writing this, we're like, what's Kumail's problem? What's Kumail's problem? What does he need to learn? What does he need to learn? And- we knew that, you know, one of his issues was that he's keeping all the spheres of his life separate. And the lesson he has to learn is that they're not separate, separate spheres. It's one big, messy life and everything's bumping into each other. And that's sort of that's sort of what it is. And you can artificially keep it separate, but only for so long. Right. But the one thing and we were we would talk to Jed about it. Jed would be like, what was your plan? I would be like, there's no plan. 
And so that's what we realized the problem with the character was that he's a guy who has no real, he's not making any of the choices. He's not making any decision. And that is a decision in itself. And that is a yeah. decision <laughs> to let in the universe itself. take you, you know? And and that's a little bit heightened in the movie, but that's kind of how I was. I mean, I wasn't really thinking about the future because it was terrifying. Yeah. Um, you were scared. It was weird to think back on those times and and try and write a character based on those times and hence diagnose what my problem was. Uh, and the problem was pretty similar to my real life problem. The, the character was, was fairly similar. I will say I was a better stand up in real you life. You were a much now. better stand up, right? You I also was, I was killing you were, it, Emily. So good. I mean, tell him. I mean, tell that's him. that's when I fell in love with you. Was from tell that stand up. Yeah, I mean, I was a <laughs> But also, the uh, you were you wouldn't joke around as inappropriately as your character in the movie does. Although the first time you actually met my parents, you made. Oof. Very inappropriate joke. Yeah, that. so that all also that was heightened. The yeah. inappropriate jokes Wasn't were a little heightened, yeah. but it really is from. I still have that where I like, will like try and make the worst joke to somebody when I'm nervous. It's yeah. like not good. I, it's not great. I, I had I've had interactions with. Uh, I, I won't say it. Okay. I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, how hard is that to write? Good bad jokes where you know they don't work, but. It's you can so also, fun. You can also see that like this person will eventually like have a living in comedy. Oh no, that's different. I like I love writing bad stand-up. Sure. I yeah. think it's so fun. I think it's like writing bad jokes is so much fun. Yeah, well, what you and you have to do like you have to do bad jokes, uh, jokes that don't work, but with someone who is gonna mm. be okay versus bad jokes for someone who isn't gonna be okay. So Kurt's character, who plays Chris, we wanted his bad jokes to be funny. But in like the way that he's kind of a doofus. Yeah, he's a straight doofus. Yeah, which is tough. Just bought a laser printer. I printed out like six lasers. <laughs> That's a great bad joke that he and Kurt Bo- Ron Oler, by the way, wrote all of his own material, all of his own bad material, but also wrote all of the people say Sam guys material. Mm. He wrote like ten minutes for people say There's Sam. There's so much more material. Yeah, Sam like- Highsmith had like a lot of material that Kurt because Sam Hi- the guy that played Ed Herbsman who played Sam Highsmith. Uh, is not a stand-up. So we had all the stand-ups write their own material um, except for him. And Kumail's material was all old material that he had to deliver poorly. Yeah, it was all material that I had back then. That was sort of the idea was I could only do material from back then. And then we use material at specific points, right? So we see that in the beginning of the movie, it's all observational. He's got the microphone in the stand. And and as the movie goes, you see that his material changes a little bit. But really, at the end is the first time where he's talking about really talking about his upbringing. In yeah, his he's, he's talking about he's talking about himself. Yeah, yes. on the stage. Um, I'll tell you, performing, performing on stage and trying to not be. Uh, he hated it. Trying to so not kill was much. very hard. He kept telling the extras, "I'm much better than this. Come and see me anytime. I'm much better." It was than really, this. really tough because there was <laughs> a real. I mean, it's extras, but it's a real audience. It's like 40 people every day. Yeah, and you kind of have to go up and like. It's what Pete Holmes refers to as old Kumail, yeah. the like less confident version of Kumail, who like think like that's not exactly how you were. No. You were still very good, and the material was always great, but you were. You were definitely less confident on stage. It was very, it was tough. Yeah. Right, right. Emily, you mentioned earlier uh, doing therapy, being a therapist. Mm-hmm. How I've met a lot of writers who have that background in psychology or psychiatry or something like that. How has that sort of informed as you step more into writing? Like, how has that informed your writing craft? Um, I think it's really, it gives me what I, it's it's a skill that I imagine other writers have too, but I feel like I got like a master class in uh, just understanding people's, that part of my job is when you're sitting down with a client, uh, it, they're never going to say, I'm depressed. And it's because the way that my father treated me growing up, you have to kind of help them figure that out through the ways, what they're not saying to you and what they are saying to you. And I think as a writer, it's reverse engineering that. So if this person's issue is this, what are the five layers of that, of, of kind of how do you reveal yourself that that's the issue that you're kind of figuring out? You also, um, I was always taught to think of the relationships between people as a separate entity. And so I think that helps a lot with dialogue uh, that it's two people. And then the third thing is their relationship together. And that's a separate thing. And each set of two people's relationships are different. Uh, and so Emily in the movie has a different relationship with her mother than her father. Uh, the f- mom has a different relationship with Emily than she does with Terry. Like it's that stuff is all stuff that I've had to put in treatment plans for years and years and had to really like think about constantly and conceptualize. And so I think that really helps me as a writer 
um, and creating characters and kind of creating the relationships they have with each other. Right, right. Um, before we get to the, before we head into the end, I, I do want to ask, we circle back to where we were at the beginning, which is we talked about sort of writing well in a relationship. And you talked about uh, going to meetings and like with your husband, but also your coworker, yeah. basically. How do you keep per- personal and professional? Like, do you have a way to keep those spheres from overlapping? I, I, I've, I've talked to, like, talked to like Jim and Jeannie Gaffigan. A few mm-hmm. years, they ran a TV show together. They have like five kids, so they so have many to, kids. Yeah. They have to like keep that separate. But do you have a way of doing that? Um, yeah, we we set up like rules and stuff. We have like specific workplaces in the home that are like separate from where we live in our home. It's not that our house is that big. We just carve out a corner. Uh, don't talk about work in bed. That's a big one. And get permission before you're going to talk about work. That's right. So, so the other person has a ch- has the opportunity to say, no, thank you. So, so if we're, you know, because it could be very easy for things to get too fluid and you're just talking about work all day, especially when you're like making a movie. Yeah. And so we'd have to be like, if it's like 7 p.m. or something, I have to be like, hey, Emily, can we, can, I have an I can we talk about work for a second? And she has to give me permission and or I'd I have go, to no, give her permission. Go, just take a minute. <laughs> Is that right? I would do that too. (laughs) Just take a minute. Yeah. So, but just that little gear shift was massive. Yeah, it It makes the biggest difference that you can like. Yeah. So that just that there's a little bit of a shift between modes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, we end every episode by asking our guests some of the same questions. So I'm going to ask each of you one of these questions. Uh, Emily, who is the writer you've learned the most from that you've never met? Lord. They can be dead. Like it could be Jane Austen. That's Um, totally fine. God, that's a really good question. Um, I would say two. Oh, God. Okay. <sighs> okay. Um, David Sedaris, I think, has such a great understanding of family dynamics uh, with his own family. As much as he embellishes or whatever he does, I, I learned a lot from the way that he thinks about his family. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Sharon Horgan is a complete genius. And I think the way that she writes is so honest and kind of naked and funny but never at the expense of the character unless they want it that way. Emily, you've it. met her. I'm sorry. Well, That's disqualified. I've also met David Sedaris. I actually uh-huh. haven't. My mom has. Um, but yeah, I, I love her very, very much. And I think she's a genius. Okay. okay. Oh, oh, I just thought of it. No, go, go, go for it. I think, um, oh God. Go ahead. I think watching what Issa Rae has done with Insecure has also been really, really, really uh, amazing. And I have not met her at all, but I um, am just such a massive fan and watching that show, watching the characters that she's kind of built, uh, her and her staff have built on that show has uh, been really instructive. And and I've seen relationship conversations on that show that in decades and decades of television, I've never seen anywhere else. And it's been really inspiring to see that there can be new conversations to be had and new fun scenes about relationships. Right. Right. And three, sorry. And <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. Kumail, what is your favorite movie ever made? And why? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I got the better question. Yeah, you that's got a off way easy. tougher Plus question. You said three things. That's right. <laughs> you can say three things too, if you feel the need. I mean, you know, the movie I've probably watched the most is Four Weddings and a Funeral. Mm-hmm. Um, Casablanca is really, really genuinely up there for me. I've seen that movie a whole bunch of times, and that's a great, you know, that's a movie that kind of has everything. It's got great lines. It's got romance. It's got drama. It's got action. It's just like just a great, just super yeah. fun movie that has everything in it. Um, and then I'm going to say, you know, I'm going to say before sunset, that's one of them too. That's, that's just a great relationship movie, um, that we, and broadcast news, I don't know. Oh God. (laughs) But, but, but I mean, that, that was a movie that we talked about a lot and thought about a lot as we were writing Uh, our movie. I'm always interested to hear what people's favorite movie is in that trilogy. And it's, it's before sunset for, as me, for me as well. Yeah. Is anyone before the last one's great, but it's a brutal watch. It's tough. So I don't know anyone that's like, that's my favorite movie. (laughs) I think some people it is. I'm sure it's true, but it's like, it's so intense. But some people like that. I feel like, you know, there were people who thought that our movie had too much of a happy ending. And it's like, we actually dialed it back. Those are the before midnight people. Yeah. Those are the before midnight people. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Camille and Emily, thank you very much. The Big Sick is on Amazon. Thank you. Thank you. If this were a movie, the closing credits would be the place where we put all the bloopers, but it's not a movie and we don't do bloopers that I think are interesting because everything is perfect. So I'm just going to read the closing credits. I Think You're Interesting is hosted and executive produced by Todd Vanderwerf and 
in case you hadn't guessed, that's me. Vox Podcasting is headed up by Marty Moe and Jackie Goldstein. Our executive producer of audio is Nishak Kurwa. Our sound designer is Miles Yule. Our logo design is thanks to Victor Ware, Crystal Stevens, and Georgia Cowley. Our production manager is Alex Allwright. Our production coordinator is Carrie Clements. Our audio engineering and post-production are thanks to P3 Post. This week's episode was recorded at the Four Seasons Hotel in Beverly Hills. Our editor, as always, is Peter Leonard, and our recording engineer is Jay Brooks. You can rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast, and you should, wherever you wherever you listen to it, whether that's Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify or some other site I've never heard of. It really helps us climb the ranks and sort of get the word out there about this show, and we, we get some great guests from that. You can also leave me your comments in a review. I read all of them, so if you have some criticisms of the show, please drop them in a review, or if you don't feel like sharing them with the general public, you can email them to me at todd at vox.com, or you can email the show at itii.podcast at vox.com, itye.podcast at vox.com. And finally, you can tweet at me at tvoti tvoti. Uh, again, if you just feel like shouting something at me through the great corridors of the internet. I'll be back next week with another figure from the world of arts and entertainment or media and culture. Just, you know, somebody I think is interesting. And until then, is your turkey thawed? Your turkey had better be thawed because, like, it's Wednesday. You're, you're going to be in trouble if it's not. There was one time that my fa- my family and your family were meeting for dinner and you weren't there. And your dad called me. I was I was not even late yet. And your dad had called me seven times, and I couldn't figure out how to get there because I was the phone calls were coming so fast that the, it was messing up the <laughs> They're GPS. They're just like we're a very we have heightened interaction. Everything. Yes. It's how are we, Jay? Great. All right. Well, I'm ready when you guys are. Uh, ready. Cool.